0: This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you are listening to episode 22, Who Wants to Go Back to Egypt? So what's on the menu today? Well, we have a number of things. We're going to talk more about that book by Jim Beckman, God Help Me, How to Grow in Prayer. I also want to share with you a couple of things that have happened recently, uh, we had the, uh, the Feast of Corpus Christi just uh, two days ago, three days ago now. Uh, I want to share something uh, with, about that feast with you. Also, um, we had a recent marriage event in our parish, and I'd like to talk a bit about that as well. Um, I have red beans and rice. I have a, a, a recipe, the one I promised last episode. You're going to get it this episode. Uh, also, uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> what I have learned this week. Uh, I'm really trying to focus on uh, taking note of the things that, uh, that I learn, because I learn a lot every week. Uh, but oftentimes I just uh, I don't pay attention to it, so I want to focus on sharing something at least with you every week, something that I have learned. Uh, let's see, what else do we have coming up? I have an announcement. Actually, two announcements. Uh, one that will have to do with a contest, and the other about a website that will be launched very, very soon. So we have all of this on the menu today at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. Man, that was a lot to get out in a very short period of time with that introduction. I want to share a few things. I mean, if you remember last episode, I guess I'll start this way. Uh, I introduced to you this book, God Help Me, uh, how to Grow in Prayer, which is uh, written by Jim Beckman. And it's a, a new book. It's available. Uh, matter of fact, you can find it at uh, the Catholic Company online. It's catholiccompany.com. They have this book available there. Um, and if if you remember, I, I kind of admitted to you last episode that when I read the first page of chapter one in this book, it, uh, it blew me away. That It convicted me, really, because I I could relate so much to it that over the last year or so, my prayer life has been uh, bad. (laughs) And I I guess a a good analogy would be uh, anemic, that my prayer life became anemic. And really, I mean, it's not that I didn't pray, and I mentioned that last episode. I mean, my prayer was trying to make every day, my day, all my activities into prayer. It was really prayer on the go. Uh, I I didn't have any kind of set time every day where I would pray, and I was very inconsistent also with my spiritual reading, which is, you have to understand me. I mean, for years and years, with all my time in uh, the seminary and uh, my my very young uh, conversion experience, or I should say my conversion experience at a very young age, I was, for years and years, I, I, I committed a lot of time daily to prayer and spiritual reading, so to get to this point in my life and to realize, goodness gracious, it's been a year or so, and I, I've just been praying as I go, and every once in a while praying the rosary, and every once in a while reading the Bible, and you know, every once in a while just talking to God in, a, in the in the in the deep quiet. Uh, I don't know. It was just kind of shocking to read that first page of that first chapter. So anyway, I have, uh, as I mentioned, I was going to try to do better, and I was going to r- continue to read this book. And uh, I- I'm very happy to say that I-, I have seen something of a turnaround. I know it's only been an- about a week, but um, I've been spending time in prayer. And, and not like tons of time, but you know, at night I'm, I'm more conscious to be reflective and to spend some time either reading Scripture or sitting quietly and just Talking to God in my heart and trying to uh, be mindful that God is present with me. Uh, so I have I have made those small steps in trying to change uh, my prayer life, trying to make it better. And uh, it, I, it's it's to me at least it's been a uh, it's a huge difference. It really is a huge difference. I feel more peaceful in my life right now. Now of course I'm a teacher and I'm off for the summer, <laughs> and I have tons of other things going on though. Um, but I don't have to worry about going in and presenting material to 130-something teenagers every day. But uh, I still have things keeping me busy. Uh, so maybe that has something to do with the peace that I'm feeling. Uh, but I think a lot of it really is just this renewed commitment on my part to my relationship with God. And the effort, the small effort that I'm making to make this happen, right? to make this Uh, real, to spend time with God. So uh, good news there. I just want to let you know uh, things are improving, and (laughs) I'm very happy, very happy about that. And I want to talk just for a bit about uh, chapter two of this book. I am, I think, almost on chapter five, or I'm just starting chapter five, I believe. But I wanted to to go back with you at least and talk about chapter two for a minute. One of the things that uh, Jim Beckman points out in this book, uh, one of the key points, I guess, of this book is that we live in a culture and a society that makes it very difficult for us to pray, makes it very difficult for us to pray. And chapter 2 is really dedicated to setting the tone, to to, to establishing the fact that we live in a very uh, difficult society. And chapter 2 is entitled Cultural Realities, Cultural Realities. Realities, and he starts out by talking about the the story of uh, of the exodus and if you remember the the Jews were in Egypt, and uh you know they were in Egypt, they had gone to Egypt way back when when Joseph had been sold by his brothers, and uh, he ended up through one adventure after another, he ended up in Pharaoh's household and he became the second uh, greatest second most powerful person in Egypt. And he's the one who predicted the, the the seven years of famine and the seven years of um bounty. And uh anyway, he that's why the Jews were there. If you remember the, the famine struck and peoples from all over uh went to Egypt. as that's Egypt had food, so they went to Egypt. And the, the Jews ended up going there and they were very well loved at the time and respected because Joseph was, in a sense, the savior of the Egyptians. He's the one who predicted the, 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 the seven years of famine that were coming, and so they were able to store food to last them through that famine. So they, they saw him as really as a savior. So when the Jews, when his family came to Egypt, they were treated very well. They were given, actually, if you look in, in Genesis, they were given the choice land. They were given the nicest place in, in that area to live. Is where the Jews were. Uh, so they were very well thought of. But what you see, and I'm trying to remember exactly where this where this starts, and uh let me see. I don't remember. I have to look that up. I can't remember offhand where exactly the story changes. Uh I think it was actually I think it's the, the very beginning of, of the book of Exodus. That's what it is. The end of Genesis, you see Joseph uh forgiving his brothers and and uh moving on, and you see the blessing of of Egypt toward the Jews because of Joseph, you see all this stuff at the end of Genesis, but then when Exodus begins, you're introduced to a new pharaoh there's a new Pharaoh in town, one who does not quote unquote know Joseph, meaning he doesn't have the same respect, the same uh, esteem for Joseph as his predecessors did. So you have a new Pharaoh in town who is not very keen on Joseph and and really not very keen on the Jews. So uh, there's a turn here. And that's why eventually you see that God needed to liberate his people. He had to to bring them out of Egypt because of this. So in the beginning of chapter 2 here in this book, uh, Jim Beckman kind of likens our current situation with that of ancient Egypt. And it was a society... Actually, if you look at it closely, there's a lot in common between our society today, our culture, and that of ancient Egypt at the time. Uh, let's see a few things that, that he points out. Uh, he said that their culture in, uh, in Egypt at the time was one of many gods, the sun, the moon, the weather, the river, animals, and so forth. And it seems that they had a god for everything. Uh, There was also a lot of sexual immorality, uh, including, by the way, the prevention of pregnancy and basically abortion as well. You know, solutions to the problem of pregnancy after it happens, uh, basically abortion. So they had that in common with us as well. Um, Lots of uh, self-centeredness, immoral behavior he mentions, uh, lots of stuff like that. Anyway, um, so he he makes the point that our culture is a lot like the culture of ancient Egypt. And he says basically, sound familiar? (laughs) And what's really interesting about this, he talks about how God wanted to lead his people or set his people free. And how did he do this? You remember the story of the Exodus. He sends Moses, Moses speaks on his behalf, Moses addresses Pharaoh, Moses talks to the people. Uh, God has a plan, and he's telling Moses and he's telling the people, I'm going to save you. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. And again and again and again, he performs, uh, Moses performs these miracles in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh still, right, in the hardness of his heart, would not let the people go. Now, originally, Moses was only asking that they make a three-day journey out to the desert to to worship God, and then to come back. I think that was the original deal, and Pharaoh wouldn't have anything to do with it. So, uh, you know, I guess God upped the ante at that point and said, well, I'm going to set them free, and they're not coming back. Uh, What happened, is God established something at this point in time to liberate the Jews. This was to be done, this was the ultimate act, the final act in the liberation of the Jews from Egypt. And you remember the story. He tells them to do what? To find an unblemished lamb, each family, and they're to sacrifice the lamb. Put the blood on the doorpost, roast the lamb according to his specifications, and to eat it, right, with your loins girt as if you were ready to go on a journey. They had to eat unleavened bread. Why unleavened bread? Because leaven, right, yeast, takes time. If you're going to make bread, anybody out there who makes bread, uh, if you're going uh, to, to do that, y- you have to add yeast, and yeast takes time to rise. So the easy thing is just make unleavened bread. It's quick, it's easy, boom, you're done. Then you can take off uh, for freedom the next morning. So God had a plan. And the interesting thing about this plan, and something that I had never, I mean, I have studied this stuff for, for years, but I never knew this part. I never knew this, that for the Egyptians, right, the the, the people with many gods, the Egyptians saw lambs, as sacred and it was actually against the law to kill a lamb and so when the Egyptians wake up the next morning and all these lambs are dead gone it's not going to take a genius among them to find out what happened since the blood is on all the doorposts of the houses of the Jews <laughs> you know and, and it, it was a, a punishable act, if I remember correctly. It was punishable by death because it was a sacred animal. And so what happens? God's putting them in a position where they can't turn back. They can't go back to Egypt. Right? He's, he's trying to make this separation between the Jews and the Egyptians. And he's trying to, to say, basically, you've done this. You've done wrong in front of the Egyptians. By, by obeying me, you can't go back. And so, you know, the rest of the story, they, they escape, they leave freely. Everybody's telling them, go, 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 and uh, until Pharaoh changes his mind and, of course, chases after him, and then Moses had to part the Red Sea and, and all of that. But um, uh, God knew what he was doing, because what happens when they get out to the desert? Well, one of the first things that they did, and, and some did very often, they would complain and say, why did you take us out of Egypt? Life used to be easy back in Egypt. The Jews had lost their identity in Egypt. They, they, they were no longer living as God's people. And they were comfortable with it because of the, the culture in which they were, in which they lived. And I think that's the point that Jim Beckman's trying to make in chapter 2 is that here we are, God's chosen people, living today. I mean, myself, I'm, I'm in the United States of America. Here we are today, God's people, God's chosen people. But how are we living? Am I am I living as a child of God in in relationship with my father in heaven? How are we living? And in order for him to set me free from the cultural trappings that 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 I have in the in the society in which we live. Uh It's going to have to be a break in such a way that I won't want to go back. And uh, I I haven't really thought through all that yet. (laughs) But he makes this sort of a a connection between the culture of Egypt and the culture of today and that God wants to liberate us and set us free. And it has to be something, in a way, kind of dramatic in a way, you know? (music) Now, he does – it's kind of like a broad stroke thing here. He does list uh, certain like basic characteristics of our culture, which is very similar to ancient Egypt. First of all, it's a godless society. We live in a godless society in general, um, an isolated society, an oversexualized society, a society that makes a god of youth, a lost sense of the nuclear family a culture of death, a society of tolerance. See, all these things we have probably heard before, he makes that connection. And he's basically saying that, you know, the ancient Jews had to relearn how to be in God's family. They had to relearn what it meant to be part of the chosen people or to be the chosen people. They had to relearn that when they left Egypt because they had completely forgotten it had been, 430 years or something like, 431 years, I believe, uh, that they were in Egypt. And they had to relearn what it meant, who they were, what their identity was. And Jim makes the point here that, you know, we have to relearn prayer in our times. We have to relearn prayer because our culture has, our culture in a real way kind of inhibits our ability to communicate, to relate with God intimately. And he lists several reasons for this. And some of these, have already, I mean, I've already given you these these key characteristics, right? The godless society, um, isolated society, and so on. And a lot of this stuff, I think he's, he's just absolutely right on, right on. Uh, but he gets this one part that I, I've, I kind of question, I mean, I, I see the overall point, but I also I kind of wonder, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Because, you know, we have a lot of good things that come out of this too. Let me just, let me just tell you what it is. When he, in the section about an isolated society, that we live in an isolated society, he says this. He says, our modern culture has driven us away from each other. For all our technological advances promising more connectedness and communication, we are more deprived of real intimacy than at any other time in history contemporary relationships now exist between the context or within the context of technology saturated homes and lifestyles evidence exists to suggest that modern technology including television cellular phones computers and the internet can be used in ways that cause and perpetuate problems in committed relationships and he makes another uh, uh, a number of other comments, uh, at least not only in chapter two, but in other chapters that I've read so far up to chapter five, um, that also refer to media, right? To, to media as being a a problem, a hindrance. Now, the quote, this what I just read to you, that second part, that that last. Let me see where it says. Where contemporary relationships now exist in the context of technology-saturated homes and lifestyles. All of that was actually a quote from another source, which I haven't looked up yet. I don't know what it is. It's in the back of the book. Um, So it's not his words, but he's using it. But it says these things can be used in ways that cause and perpetuate problems in committed relationships. And I, I don't think there's anybody alive who wouldn't agree with that. Yes, it can. Television can cause problems. The computer and the Internet can cause problems but it doesn't mean that just because they exist that they are going to cause problems, right? Guns can kill people. Uh, or what is that? There's a, a phrase about that. Guns go, don't kill people. People kill people, right? Uh, but just because, of, just because I can kill somebody doesn't mean that I will. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Uh, I, the, the reason I question this is because when I look at traditional media, television, radio print movies you know all these traditional types of of media you know I can see where our culture is just saturated with it and it's all things that are very it, that are done in isolation you know you go on a date with a with your your husband wife, your boyfriend girlfriend, and you go out to dinner and then to a movie and you know it's always funny I always thought it was funny how that how that how that works, because you go to a movie you're not you 're not talking you' you're just sitting there watching the screen you don 't really communicate, and I find that very interesting because you know i mean a lot of the times I think about when I was dating char I, I, I wanted to talk I, we we talked all the time and it, it was great just to go sit at a coffee shop or go to a restaurant uh, and we did go to movies we did that too, but uh, not as much and, and I guess we would watch movies maybe when we were at at you know someone's home or with friends or each other's place of residence or whatever, uh, where you can talk, you know, you can talk over the movie or you can pause the movie or turn the movie off or whatever. So um, traditional media, I can see it as as being a uh, something that can lead to to isolation. I think it really does. Uh, but what about social media? What about all the new stuff? Right, the internet, and not the old internet. Right, this is like Web 2.0. This is the 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 read-write web. This is the 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 interaction that can take place that we can actually put content on the web now uh, for other people to see and to hear, and they can do the same, and we can comment, and we can dialogue, and we can converse. And uh, when I think of social media, I think that it is a huge step in the right direction in using media technology in order to foster and further relationships and i I think that that is a um uh it's a it's a wonderful gift for our time it's 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 there's so much potential here to use social media for the good uh both from like an, an ostensibly christian or catholic standpoint where you have a ministry that uses or utilizes uh, social media, but also in in people, good people, Christians, Catholics, good people who want to create good content that may not be ostensibly about the faith, but it's good human content that builds up and edifies other people. And there's so much there. There's so much potential here for Uh, for these good uses of social media that can also, that not can, but I think they they do by their very nature. Anybody who's engaged in the conversation is being social. And I I can say uh, for me, for for myself, I've noticed that with the, the debut of social media, all these wonderful new tools that we have to play with, uh, that I feel like I am more social now than I've ever been in my life. <laughs> you know, not not just because I'm doing this podcast, but I think it's it's all the dialogue, it's all the conversation that I'm having with people, all over the place, and it's 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 real community, it's real uh, relationships. And some of these people, you know, you meet in real life, and some of them you don't, but you get to know people over time, and you can become friends over time. And, uh, and it's, I think it really is a, a true sense of community. So anyway, that's the, the bottom line. I agree 100%. Our culture can inhibit or diminish our ability to have a, um, an intimate relationship with anybody, really, but also with God, that, that it really does inhibit or can inhibit our relationship with God. Uh, But I also see in technology some great things happening that can help us to grow in prayer, to help us to grow in relationship with God, and to help us to grow in relationship with other people. So that's my two cents. What do you think? What do you think about uh, the effect of technology, uh, new media, traditional media, on our relationships with each other and with God? What do you think about that? Please let me know. I I want to know. I want to know what you think. And uh, is it good? Is it bad? Uh, Do we have to be careful about something? Is traditional media worse than new media? What do you see as uh, the really positive uh, points about new media or social media? And uh, are there any negative points that you see? Same thing with traditional media. Please let me know. Uh, You can email me at catholicfoodie at gmail.com. Uh, you can also visit the website at CatholicFoodie.com and leave a comment there on this blog post, uh, the one that will uh, house this, uh, this particular podcast. Or you can call the listener feedback line, which is my preferred way to get feedback, by the way. I love voice feedback. It's great. You can play it on the, uh, on the show. And I think it makes uh, the show a lot more interesting. So if you want to give me a call, you can at 985-635-4974. I look forward to hearing from you. Well, as I mentioned last episode as well, the Catholic Foodie has been nominated for an award, uh, for a Catholic New Media Award, in three different categories. Uh, Best New Blog, Best Podcast by a Man, and best new podcast, and I am, you know, as i said, I am, uh, I'm honored uh, to have been nominated. I think that's uh, that's fantastic. I, I thank you all so much. Whoever did the nomination uh, for these different categories, thank you for that. That's uh, it's awesome. Uh, and and right now we're in the period of the voting period for these awards. Uh, voting I think goes through the end of June. Uh, so please, if you haven't done so yet, please go to catholicnewmediaawards.com and vote for the Catholic Foodie. I think that would be great to, uh, to get an award in one of these categories. Uh, so catholicnewmediaawards.com. There's also a link on the right-hand side of the screen at catholicfoodie.com. So, you can just click on that link and it'll take you right over to the site. You have to register to vote, but uh, it's a painless process. It's basically just picking a username, password, and putting your email address in there. And you get to vote only once. So, and you can vote on all the different categories that they have. And they have, you know, many, many um, uh, podcasts and blogs that were uh, nominated for different, uh, you know, for an award in different categories. Uh, so, you can vote for all your favorite blogs and podcasts there. And I certainly hope that the Catholic Foodie will be counted among them. May recognize that uh, that song, the "Tantum Ergo," uh, which is a Latin song, uh, Latin hymn, I guess you'd say, a hymn, and uh, it's used in the rite of benediction uh, with the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament and the uh, the blessing uh, of the people by the priest with a with the monstrance with the Eucharist there in the monstrance. Uh, the "Tantum Ergo" is one of the uh, typical hymns that, that is used in that rite. And uh, just three days ago, we celebrated in the church the great feast of Corpus Christi, celebrating the body and blood of the Lord, uh, the, the great gift of the Eucharist. And uh, I mentioned, I think I mentioned last episode, that St. Peter Parish, my parish, every year we have a, uh, a very elaborate Eucharistic procession, and it's, it's a beautiful thing, and I was so happy this year because my son uh, became an altar boy. And the very first liturgy that he served uh, was the Corpus Christi liturgy, which is followed by the procession. And so he had a very important job. His job was to carry the boat, what is known as the boat. The boat is um, uh, a container for the incense. And so he will walk alongside the censer and, or also known as the thurifer, and whenever the priest needs to uh, put incense into the thurible, he, you know, he just holds the boat out, and there's a little spoon in there, and the priest will scoop up some incense and throw it on the hot charcoal, and uh, and they're good to go. So that was his job, and he he did a, a great job. He's um, you know, he's, he's an actor, and so he's very very comfortable in front of people. Uh, he's been in a few plays. And he uh, he's he never meets a stranger. He will uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, he's an amazing child. He's an amazing child, and is afraid of nothing. You know, there's so many people. I think one of the, the greatest fears that people have in general is public speaking. Right, speaking in front of other people. He doesn't have that fear. Uh, I, I really don't have that fear. I think that's where he probably gets it. But he's far beyond me. Uh, it's amazing what this kid uh, is comfortable doing, just standing up in front of people and acting or talking or singing or whatever. It, it doesn't faze him at all. And so that's why I'm not surprised that when he was up there on the altar serving, uh, he, he looked like he belonged there. Great stage presence, they say. And uh, he had no problem with it, wasn't nervous. He just went and did what he was supposed to do, and that was that. So I'm very proud of him, very proud of him, and uh, I, this is starting a new era for him as an altar server. I became an altar server when I was in fifth grade, and I was uh, very dedicated to that and, and continued to serve at the altar until uh, I graduated from high school. Now, I continued even after that, but then I was a seminarian, so it's a little different. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like family tradition. Here with my son, he's going into the fifth grade, and (laughs) he's become an altar boy, too. So I'm very happy about that. And that's not the only reason that uh, we were excited about the the Eucharistic uh, procession. My daughter, Annabelle, my oldest daughter, made her first communion. If you remember, she talked to us about that not too long ago. Uh, Back in May, she made her first communion. And all the first communicants, the girls, have the option for the Corpus Christi procession to be flower girls. And they get to wear their communion uh, dress again, and they carry baskets full of flower petals. And during the procession itself, as they walk in front of uh, the priest carrying the monstrance, and they throw flower petals on the ground, that, you know, the priest walks over carrying Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. So they're They're leading a procession for Jesus, is what they're doing. And uh, it's it's a beautiful thing to see. And as a matter of fact, I was so, I knew it, it was special for us, right? Our children are actively involved in this. In Grace, the youngest, she will be a flower girl next year. But our two older children were involved in this event. So I made sure to bring the video camera out, and I got some footage. And I sat down with iMovie the other day. I had some some time to devote to doing this, and uh, I made my first ever edited and posted online video. My first ever, so I did. I put that together and I posted it on the website at catholicfoodie.com. Uh, if you go over there, you can see it. It's uh, Corpus Christi Procession 2009, I believe, is the title of the post, and uh, it's about 12 minute video, but uh it's it's I, you might you might like it just check it out and let me know let me know what what you think uh it's funny because after i did this i, I kind of made it like recorded it edited it as if it were really going to be for family and friends and that's why i mean my two children i've got a lot of footage of them so they kind of figure in at different parts of the video they kind of figure in you know prominently um but it wasn't until after it was all done that i thought well hey why why don't I just post this and uh, people might like it, you know? So I went ahead and did that. And then I also sent the link to my pastor. I figured, hey, you know, you're in this video. <laughs> you were, uh, you know, carrying the monstrance and blessing us uh, uh, two different times during the procession with uh, with Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. So maybe you'd like to see this. When he saw it, emailed me back last night and said he loved it and he asked if I would please disseminate it, send it to as many parishioners as possible. I was like, wow, never never thought about doing that. So anyway, I did that uh, last night. I sent out some emails, and I, it's, it's now going through the works. And so lots of people are uh, watching that video. Anyway, I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, it may help me to decide whether or not I want to try any more uh, videos like this in the future for different events. So let me know what you think. During this year of St. Paul, Catholics have harnessed the power of new media for worldwide evangelization. To learn how you can be a part of this, attend this year's Catholic New Media Celebration held in San Antonio on Saturday, June 27th. Hear from author Patrick Madrid and Father Dave Dwyer of the Busted Halo Show. Music by Sarah Bauer and network with Catholic New Media professionals and consumers. Hosted by the StarQuest Production Network, this year's Catholic New Media Celebration promises to be bigger and better than ever. For details and registration, visit celebration.sqpn.com. I can't believe that the CNMC is only eight days away. Uh, I leave here. I'm leaving on Thursday. Uh, when are you going? When are you going to arrive at the CNMC? Uh, I'm leaving Thursday morning, uh, the 25th, and I will arrive, I think, somewhere just in early afternoon uh, on, on the 25th, Thursday, and I'm going to stay there till Sunday. So I will be leaving Sunday. If you are going to be there, uh, on Thursday. Please let me know. It would be great to see you. People are going to San Antonio for many lands and nations making new friends and having a Catholic New celebration. Well, I do have an announcement to make. Uh, a new contest. We're going to have a contest here at the Catholic Foodie. It's the the second contest we've ever had. Uh, the first one was way back uh, sometime before Christmas, I believe, uh, in December, I believe, of uh, 2008. And so this is something, it, it, it's a new thing. We're in a new year. We have a new contest. And it's uh, it's for a new uh, prize. The last prize was a, uh, a mortar and pestle. And now what I have to give away is uh, some seasoning If you remember just a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, Char and I took the kids and we went to the Greek Fest, as we do every year, uh, in New Orleans. And there at the Greek Fest, one of the things that we love to buy every year, and we always stock up, is on Greek seasoning. And we buy this Greek seasoning, and we can have it all year. Uh, We get enough that it'll last all year. We put it on everything. It's it's really good stuff. So I have uh, some Greek seasoning I'd love to give away. I, I ship that to you. Um, and, and so what do you have to do to win it? Well, I mentioned earlier that I really like voice feedback. I really like voice feedback. That way I can play it on the show. It, it Once again, it kind of makes things into a dialogue. It's not just me uh, talking to you, but uh, you get a chance to talk to me as well and to anybody else who's listening. So um, what I'm going to do is every time I get a piece of voice feedback for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to put your name in a hat. And, you know, now you, you don't have to call like 20 times just to <laughs> say, hi, I'm just calling to leave voice feedback, you know, not, nothing like that. But if you have something really good to, you know, just a comment, you know, what do you think about the show? What do you, what do you recommend as something maybe that I, I should cover, some topic that we should talk about, uh, some story that you would like to share, something that's going on in your own kitchen, or some event that's coming up that you would like to uh, tell us about, you know, something... Uh, that'd be great. You know, we'd love to hear it. If you have recommendations for particular restaurants, if you have, you know, a favorite dish you'd like to talk about, anything like that, you're, you're, uh, we'd love to hear it. We would love to hear from you. So uh, you can call the voice feedback line at nine eight five six three five four nine seven four nine eight five six three five four nine seven four. 985-635-4974. 985-635-4974. Does this sound familiar? Pachelbel's canon in D is often played for a uh, certain ceremony. Uh, Any guesses as to what ceremony that might be? (laughs) Well, you got it right. If you said marriage, uh, wedding... Uh, you got it right. Uh, Pachelbel's Canon in D is often played for uh, for weddings. Right? Now I, I play this for a reason. I wanted to share with you uh, quickly uh, something that's been going on in my parish uh, for a while. Uh, I guess it's been less than a year. It's probably maybe six months. I guess maybe six months so far. Uh, we have what's called uh the covenant of love it's a program which if i'm not mistaken is is a national thing let me look that up real quick all right yes uh covenantoflove.org org uh, it is a uh, it's a marriage ministry of sorts it's a program Uh, which is supposed to, uh, it's meant to revitalize uh, marriages. And uh, my wife and I started to participate in uh, the Covenant of Love program right here at our our local parish at St. Peter's, uh, which we started, once again, I can't remember how many months ago, but we started a few months ago. We meet once a month for presentations, and uh, it's very nice. They provide babysitting, so that's really nice. And it gives us a break. We get to spend some time together. We get to listen to some good stuff. Good teachings, practical teachings on marriage and relationships by good, faithful Catholics, you know, practicing Catholics. So it's really good stuff, and uh, we've, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, we have little kids, so we have little kids a lot of times. I mean, marriage, marriage is hard, period, for anybody, because you're talking about two—in our society, right? You're talking about two individuals coming together where the, the I is supposed to become we— and none of us eyes are real good at becoming wees. Uh, typically, uh, we all have this sort of innate selfishness, which is something that we have to overcome in our lives. And that, that's that's part of growing in virtue and uh, maturing in, in our faith and everything else. But uh, so naturally, it's very difficult to for, for eyes to become wees. And and that's just when you have a man and woman who are married. That's that doesn't include the whole you know, small children in the mix. Uh, I think when you have small children in the mix, it adds an added dimension there that uh, is is even, uh, can be even more difficult. Uh, A lot more responsibility, a lot more pressure can really harm or hurt or damage uh, a marriage. So uh, it's very important, and I mean, the the many many ministries in the church are uh, reminding us of this today, that it is very important to spend time focusing on your marriage that 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 good marriages don't happen by accident that you actually have to do certain things and, and really kind of work at it in order to have a good marriage so uh, those are some of the things that we're talking about learning about in uh, in these uh, sessions when we get together and we have probably I don't know like I don't know 40 50 60 couples and we have a lot of people who are there once a month and uh I don't know, I guess maybe 40 to 50 couples. And anyway, we had something special. We did not meet in June. Instead, we had a special ceremony, which we called uh, I Still Do. And it was put on by uh, the Marriage and Family Ministry of St. Peter Parish. And it was basically a special mass during which the couples, including Char and I, we did the same thing, uh, renewed their vows. We renewed our wedding vows. Which was a, um, wow, it's like, you know, you, you think about it, the last time you really said those vows out loud to each other was when you were married. I mean, I've, we've never done a ceremony like that where we're actually renewing our wedding vows. We've, we've never done that. You know, it's been, it'll be 11 years in just a few months. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been almost 11 years ago since we said those words to each other like that. That was really kind of powerful, um... So thank God for that. And I know a lot of, they had an incredible reception afterwards. It was uh, amazing. They transformed the parish hall into this place It was just great. And and they had food that was catered, and uh, Abita actually provided the um, uh, beer and also uh, wine for the event. Uh, It was very, very, very nice. And uh, we were able to actually, my parents, In Baton Rouge, they watched the kids for us, so we were able to be free for basically at least 24 hours. It was nice. It was very nice. So, uh, good stuff. You can check out Covenant of Love on the web at covenantoflove.org. Well, it's time to... Say goodbye for today for this episode. Um, once again, just a reminder: please go to CNMA, right? The Catholic New Media Awards at CatholicNewMediaAwards.com, and please vote for the Catholic Foodie uh, in three categories. Uh, we could win an award, and that would be just so awesome. So please do that, and don't forget we do have a contest going on now. It'll go on for the next couple of weeks uh, for voice feedback. You leave voice feedback. At uh, 985-635-4974, your name goes into the hat and you could win uh, some delicious Greek seasoning. And this comes straight from the Greek Fest, which is famous in my book uh, with the Greek, from the Greek Orthodox uh, Church in New Orleans. So please do so at 985-635-4974. Let me know what you think about uh, this show, anything that uh, we've talked about today or any of the previous shows. Uh, What do you like? What do you don't like? What would you like to see? Is there something more that you want us to to talk about, to cover? Uh, Please let us know. I look forward to hearing from you. And please check out that uh, that video, the video I posted at catholicfoodie.com. I'd love to know what you think. Well, I hope that you have a wonderful week. And as the CNMC draws near... Uh, Eight days away as it draws near. I do hope to have one more episode come out, which will be uh, next week, uh, shortly before I leave for the CNMC. And uh, goodness, just pray, please pray for everybody who's going to be going. Uh, I certainly hope that you're going, uh, but if you're not, and even if you are, please pray. Pray for everybody for a safe trip and also just for a great time uh, together, a great community-building time, a time of, of joy, being with fellow uh, Catholics, fellow believers, um, talking about new media and its place in our church. Anyway, thank you for doing that. And until next time, bon appétit.